In the moments we have left, we still got quite a few, <laughs> I want to talk with you uh, about the theme of this study, because it's really an important theme. Uh, time to shine. I, I entitled my sermon today, Shine Like Stars, uh, from this passage in Philippians 2. Uh, time to shine. We've got to get our light out there. We've got to be sharing Christ with others. And, and that is one of our big focuses in our, in our ministry efforts over the next three years is going to be how can we do a better job of sharing Christ with our friends, our family, uh, our neighbors, people that we meet in Walmart. Uh, our speaker this weekend, Willie Franklin, uh, says he goes through Walmart and he sings gospel songs, not quietly, you know, like, Jesus loves me. And he just sings them, Jesus loves me, this I know. And, you know, he's singing these songs and he says people follow him. Because you know, they're, 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 what is he singing, you know? And he gets the opportunity to share with them. He's a bold personality. I'm not sure I could do that. But, uh, you know, you do have opportunities with people you just meet through your week to share Christ. And we need to do this. We need to let our light shine. In this key passage uh, that we've been looking at here, uh, or this passage that I'm drawing from today, there's a key part of it. Uh, that I want to focus in on. And that key part is verses 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky, stars in the universe, as you hold firmly the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But did you catch verse 14? What, what's verse 14 say up there? That, those, that, that first line. Do everything without what? Grumbling or complaining. You know, if it were just that easy. You know, if, 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 we, if we could be told to just stop something and we'd stop it, wouldn't that be great? You know, I have, I, have, I have trouble with, you know, uh, a habit that I have. Well, just stop it. You know, if that, was, if that worked, that would be wonderful. Does that work for you? It doesn't for me. You know, it, it takes effort and time and repetition to get that old habit out and the new habit established. And so we need to work on that. Uh, we need to work on it because all of us, to a certain extent, are like little children. Um, you know, we don't always want to understand why something we do is wrong. We just want to get our way. Isn't that true? And that's when the grumbling and griping comes, when we don't get our way. Uh, Kathy was uh, participating in a parenting class in her church, and she explained to her six-year-old daughter, Kayla, that she was taking this course to make herself a better mommy. Well, the next Sunday after church, Kayla got upset. Uh, Six-year-olds do that. And she threw a tantrum. And both of her parents tried to calm her, but with tears streaming down her face, uh, and in a loud voice, Kayla announced to whoever was close enough to hear her, but especially her mother, you told me you were taking a course to make you a better mommy. Well, it's not working. 
You know, it seems the default setting for human beings is the complaint mode. You know, when things don't go our way, just the way I want them to go, I grumble and I gripe. But that's not a new thing. What did Solomon say? There is nothing new where? Under the sun. Thankfully, God's patience and mercy is greater than all of our grumbling, or we'd be in a heap of trouble. The children of Israel, uh, they give us an example. Their response to God's leadership during the Exodus shows us how easy it is to develop a bitter, complaining spirit. Psalms 95 is a place that I want to go. If you want to turn your Bibles over there, uh, please do. Uh, Psalm 95 really lets us know what's at stake when we fall into that bitter, complaining spirit. It starts with a beautiful prose uh, describing the creative power of God. In fact, you don't know it, but you already know these first seven verses of the psalm. Uh, matter of fact, verses 1 through 5 is one song that we sing every now and again, and then verse 6 and 7 is another song. So let's look at these. Matter of fact, let's sing them. See how we do. So this is Psalm 95, 1 through 5. Come, let us sing with joy for the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The seas are his, he made them in his hands. They formed the dry lands, and his hands, they formed the dry lands. Then we usually sing it faster and faster and faster, and you got all the motions that go with it. You know, uh, but isn't that interesting how we, we have songs that we sing? and we don't even realize where they come from. But isn't that a beautiful picture that is painted about the creative power of our God? Now, the next song, you know even better. It comes from verses 6 and 7. We sing this one quite often as we're getting ready to start a worship service. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand and the sheep of his hand. We know these first seven verses. We love these first seven verses. We love that message that's there, the creative power of God and how God loves us and cares for us like sheep, like a shepherd does, his sheep. But we should take heed of the final four verses of this psalm. These final four that the writer of Hebrews repeats as a warning to Christians against falling away from their Lord. Today, today, if you hear 
if you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, these are people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. At both these places that were mentioned, Massa and Meribah, the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and God. They even dared to test God. Indeed, the names of these two places attest to the nature of God's people, the people of Israel. Massa means test, and Meribah means quarrel. This is how God described how the people of Israel were acting at those two places. Their failure to trust God to do what was best for them. And then to demand that God prove his presence among them betrayed their lack of faith. If we are going to truly let our light shine like stars in the universe, if we're going to let our light shine as Jesus instructed in Matthew 5, 16, then we've got to do it in a way that Yes, lets the world see our good deeds, but then, through them, glorify God so that it gives glory to God. Now, I want to ask you a question. When people grumble and complain, do they get attention? Yes, they do, don't they? Do people generally praise God for the grumblers and the complainers? No. No, they don't. See, and that's what we're supposed to be about when we let our light shine. We're supposed to be about giving God the glory. And if instead we're grumbling and complaining, then God's being what? Not honored, but the opposite. Brought to shame. And church, we cannot do that. That is not what God put us here into this world for. We need to instead turn into that grateful people so that God can be glorified. But you know, when our, our hearts have turned proud and, and we've become puffed up, seems like we, we believe the world owes us more. We even believe God owes us more. Dave Baker, or Dan Baker, excuse me, and Cameron Stauff, uh, in their book, What Happy People Know, make the following observation. The bigger the sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. Our entitlement mindset, they write, has led to a proliferation of lawsuits. When we don't get something we really want, we sue somebody. For example, the San Francisco Giants were once sued on Father's Day, get this, for only passing out gifts to fathers. Yep. A psychology professor sued once for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. A psychic was once awarded a million dollars when a doctor's CAT scan, quote-unquote, impaired her psychic abilities. You know, you have to wonder about that third one. 
Shouldn't she have known that that would have happened? <laughs> but the weight of the research, they continue. And they say, common sense. It says, gratitude rather than ingratitude is the way to true happiness and success. One study, in one study, uh, we learned that adults who frequently, who feel grateful, have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not. They are also less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or alcoholics. They earn more money, they sleep more soundly, they exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. Isn't that interesting? Gratitude has that effect. Now, researchers are finding that gratitude brings similar benefits to children and adolescents. Kids who feel and act grateful tend to be less materialistic. They get better grades. Uh, they set higher goals. They complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches and feel more satisfied with their friends, family, and school than those who don't. Their conclusion is what really gets me. A lot of these findings, excuse me, uh, a lot of these findings are things we learned in kindergarten or our grandmothers told us. But now we have scientific evidence to prove them. The key is not to leave it on the Thanksgiving table. You know, too often we leave that gratitude on the Thanksgiving table and we don't express it in our lives. We don't let our light shine. We've got to let our light shine. And grumbling and complaining dims that light. Folks, we want to let our light shine so that others will be able to glorify our Heavenly Father. So let's take note of the things that come from the Spirit of God and please Him. And not surprisingly, others will also notice that and give thanks to God. Our lives are going to bear fruit. The question is, for us, what kind of fruit are they going to bear? Um, are they going to be a fruit that is nourished by good things or bad things? Will they produce good fruit or bad fruit? You know, that fruit that it finds its nourishment in our fleshly nature produces what Paul uh, describes here in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or will we draw our life-giving nourishment from the Spirit and produce fruit to the glory of God, fruit like love, peace, joy, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what does Paul say? He says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And when we do that, the fruit that our lives bear will be fruit that brings glory to God. Now, you can take this sermon a couple of ways. You can say, nobody can be that good. 
I might as well go have fun. Let me ask you a few questions. Are broken relationships fun? Do you really feel better after a good drunk? Do fits of rage, when you vent all that venom out of you, really make you feel better, or do they just ruin the relationships around you? Did that one night stand really help you get that itch scratched, or did it just make you feel ashamed? Or you could understand that a life lived under the mercy and grace of God, even if imperfectly achieved, you know, if we can't completely live up to what we're supposed to be living, it's so much better. It's some, such a better way of life and a much better witness to our Heavenly Father and His love for us. You know, there, there might be something in your life that you're ashamed of. That's okay. Because you know what happened when you were buried in the baptism, in the waters of baptism? You know what happened to you? You died. You were raised a new creation. And God is starting to work on you. He's starting to transform you. He's starting to make you into something new and different. It doesn't happen overnight. But people notice. Now, after you become a Christian, will people start bringing up all those things in the past that you did, that you're ashamed of now? Sure they will. You betcha they will. Satan's good at that. You know, remember how he, he worked with uh, Job? You know, who did, he, who did he use on Job? His wife. <laughs> you know, he, he'll, he'll use anybody. You know, they'll bring up that stuff. But you know, what's wonderful is that because you are now in Christ and being transformed, the contrast before, between what was then and what is now becomes greater and greater, and it becomes a witness to the power of God to change lives. And that's wonderful. And, and don't think that shining your light uh, means putting other people down. It doesn't mean that. You know, the Apostle Paul claimed that when it came to legalistic righteousness as practiced by the Pharisees, that he was faultless. Faultless, folks. If we can earn our salvation, Paul said, I, I got it wrapped up, tied up, and, you know, in, in my arms. Yet because of his misguided zeal, which led him to persecute the church of God, Paul described himself as what? The chief of sinners. St. Paul called himself a sinner. Where do we get an idea that we're better than anyone else in this world who's struggling with sin? Paul declares in Romans, the third chapter, verses 23 and 24, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. The good news is that all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are sinners who are redeemed and sanctified and made holy and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. But we have to make a decision, church. Church, we have to decide to let our light shine. We have to stop putting that light under the bushels of grumbling and complaining and arguing so that God can shine through us, even through our imperfections, 
so that the power of his all-sufficient grace can be seen by others as our life is transformed, as people see the fruit that is produced by the Spirit living within us. Are you here today and you're looking for a better way to live your life? Are you tired of chewing on the fruit of bitterness and complaining? Then I encourage you to come to Jesus. He is the source of that living water, the Spirit of God who will take the seed of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, plant it into your heart and begin to grow a new tree within you. And in time, it will produce joy instead of sorrow, peace instead of conflict, hope in the place of despair. The choice is yours. I hope you can join us on this 40-day journey that we're about to take. We need traveling companions, don't we, as we go through life? It's not easy. Sometimes we fall down and we need help getting up. Sometimes we get into that spirit of bitterness and complaining and we need somebody to come alongside of us in love and say, hey, let's let our light shine instead of covering it up with this grumbling and complaining. There's another thing about doing this journey together that I think we sometimes miss. God never intended us to make this trip alone. He never intended us as individuals to hold up his light. He intended us together as the body of Christ to hold up that light. Together we shine so much brighter than we do individually. So I want to encourage you. Consider Jesus. Consider him today. If you're a Christian, Make that commitment to say, I am going to live my life for him today and from now on without the bitterness and the complaining, without the grumbling and the griping, but instead with gratitude. If you don't know Christ as your Savior yet, you know what it's like out there in the world. You know how tough it can be. In Christ, you're going to find the power to be transformed into someone who is a life of gratitude, and with that gratitude comes all those fruits that are so wonderful that we want to have love, joy, peace. They're all ours in Christ Jesus if we'll only come to him. The water is ready. If you want to put Christ on as your Savior in baptism today, we encourage you to do that. The Spirit says, come. Won't you come to Jesus today? Whether to seek prayers from your brothers and sisters in Christ or to confess Jesus as God's Son and your Savior and be baptized. The invitation is yours. Let us stand and let us sing.